This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest today is David Crawford, co-founder and executive director of Animal Help Now, a Boulder, Colorado-based national organization that is considered the 911 of wildlife emergencies. So how this works is, let's say you see a wild animal that appears to be injured or ill or just otherwise seems to need assistance. You access the Animal Help Now website or smartphone app and indicate your location which then generates a list of local resources that is local in your area, such as wildlife rehabilitators, wildlife rescues, wildlife hotlines, and veterinarians who treat wildlife. In other words, various people and entities with considerable expertise who can help you in that particular situation. We'll find out more about how Animal Help Now came together, how this extensive network has been broadened out over the years, and uh, other aspects of Animal Health. Now, when I speak with David Crawford in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Also, a brief programming announcement. Back in May, we experimented with an extended news segment called Ask the Trainer, featuring our friend Glenn Hatchell, a former WMNF programmer, and now the Behavior and Enrichment Manager at the Humane Society of Tampa Bay and an accomplished dog trainer and behaviorist. We invited listeners to call or write in with questions about their dog's behavior or training, which Glenn then responded to. The experiment was a big success, and Glenn has been nice enough to agree to return next Wednesday, August 18th, for another segment of Ask the Trainer. So you may want to start thinking about your questions for Glenn now. Meanwhile, later in today's program, I'm excited to reprise what used to be a signature element of Talking Animals, playing animal songs. The fabulous Flea, WMNF's music director, dedicated dog guy, and longtime Talking Animal supporter, has sent me two terrific dog songs recently, one by Carrie Newcomer, the other by Colleen Green, and we'll hear at least one of them later in the show, and if we have time, we'll hear them both. Right now, though, let's discuss wildlife and ways through animal help now to provide assistance to those aiming to assist those wild critters in need with David Crawford. With a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. This is David Crawford on Talking Animals on WNF. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Duncan. Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals. Well, thank you very much for having us. We really appreciate your uh, attention to our organization. Thank you. Sure. So we're going to get into that organization and all kinds of th- things, nuts and bolts and uh, history and all kinds of things. But first, I got to ask, when did you first become interested in wildlife yourself? Oh, it's probably, uh, well, I think I was still in Iowa. This is, this would have been the late 80s. I would have been in my late 20s. And, uh, you know, I saw a deer get hit on the, on the road and uh, that image stayed with me. When I moved to Colorado in the early 1990s, I was involved with uh, the uh, spring bear hunt, the effort to stop the hunting of spring bears because you'd be killing the mother bears mm. uh, who had the dependent young, you know, where I'm also opposed to killing 
the father of bears and uh, all bears, but that was a successful initiative run by the uh, Humane Society of the United States, and that just all uh, kind of exploded from there. I got more, more and more heavily involved. All right, well, we'll circle back to that in a sec, but I would just guess, given the work that you do today, that even before all this happened, that you were probably fascinated by critters of one kind or another as a, as a young boy. Is that is that wrong or right? You know, I don't know if I was fascinated by them. I, I, I do remember reading a book called Animals Do the Strangest Thing or something like that. Okay. Or a- animals are people too. But I, I had a lot of experiences uh, that I was a sensitive kid. I had a lot of experiences that I saw where I saw animals being hurt, uh, a cat being hit by a car, a movie scene where a pigeon's head was um, viciously uh, uh, cut off. Mm. And these, um, and then I, and I had a pretty, I had a good Christian upbringing. So, you know, kind of a liberal Christian upbringing. So I, I, I had a good sense of justice, uh, developed sense of justice. And I just felt like, you know, this, something's really askew here. And then after my first uh, attempt at college, uh, the spring uh, or the summer when I was 19 years old, I worked in a slaughterhouse Wow, uh, to make to make some money. Uh, yeah. And that was kind of the biggest turning point. Went vegetarian shortly after that. And then, um, it took me 10 years to go vegan, but eventually I did and, uh, got heavily involved with animal rights at that point. Wow. So yeah, I mean, some of the things you described up to that point, I guess it was sort of a surprise twist in the story that you went to work for a slaughterhouse. Wouldn't have guessed that from some of the other things you had said about things you had seen that were deeply affecting and, and growing up as kind of a sensitive kid. So, um, yeah, that, that seems I like a... Yeah. I don't know if they were uh, if they were important individually, but when I look back, I see the pieces, and so uh, it didn't. It, it took a big push, but it. Uh, but I was a change after that. So. Yeah, and because I guess what I was curious about, and, and it may not be the case, except maybe the slaughterhouse in a way does serve as this. It just seems like I would have guessed somewhere in your history there would have been some kind of momentous episode involving one or more uh, animals that would have maybe helped account for the work that you do. That in other words, it's hard to imagine someone kind of wandering willy-nilly into assisting wildlife or helping other people assist wildlife without some kind of transformative event or combination of events that propelled uh, someone down that path. Certainly. And, and, you know, I do I do start with the deer being hit by the okay. vehicle and, and, yeah. and stopping for the deer and seeing the deer's last breath uh, and feeling helpless. But moving out to Colorado, suddenly I started encountering a lot of animals who were being hit by cars. I started, uh, I, I started get, becoming really frustrated that I didn't know what to do uh, when I encountered that, especially when I was on the road away from home. So, yeah. and then I was doing prairie dog advocacy work out here too and when you're when you're um advocating for prairie dogs it's an uphill battle they are getting slaughtered out here they're down to two to three percent of their historical uh, acreage and their historical habitat and people want to continue to take their habitat from them and when their habitat goes they die and so does an entire ecosystem and so i did a lot of work on that through the years and i was working with an animal rights organization and we were getting and we we're doing a lot more than prairie dogs we were doing everything across the gamut circuses and uh, food issues but we would get calls every day from people who needed help with this or that animal emergency and that's really the genesis of it, the, seeing this tremendous need yeah. that wasn't being met. Nobody knew what to do. And if we didn't know what to do as an animal rights organization, we knew that uh, that nobody else did. So that's, that was really the, it, from my from my uh, perspective, it was the uh, the reason that I got involved with this organization and helped uh, help make. Yeah. Well, just to back up for one second, and if you mentioned this already, uh, sorry if I missed it, but was relocating to Colorado about college 
marriage or was there some other reason for that move? I was just done with uh, the first part of my life and I was ready for something new. Plus, I always loved Colorado. So it was a, a lot of people. I grew up in Iowa. A lot of people <laughs> who grew up in Iowa end up in uh, Colorado. I see. That's just kind of the natural progression, I guess, in some, <laughs> some respects. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you just tuned in, my guest is David Crawford, co-founder and executive director of Animal Help Now. Considered the 911 of wildlife emergencies, their website or smartphone app can connect you with an array of resources to help if you see a wild animal anywhere in the U.S. that appears to need assistance. If you'd like to ask Dave a question uh, about some sort of wildlife encounter or situation that you've had or that you might anticipate having or anything else or offer a comment for that matter, please call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-0885. So, okay, so it sounds like we're sort of at the cusp of, of the very beginnings, at least, the seedlings of the idea for Animal Help Now. So so tell me about how you and others uh, started kind of formulating the idea for what would become Animal Help Now. Well, we, we started off with a different purpose in mind, and that was, that was uh, we were interested in sort of getting a broad picture of what was happening with animals in Colorado specifically. So we were going to catalog every single species that you could find in, in Colorado and then uh, talk about the threats that they face and talk to, and uh, describe the uh, efforts being made on their behalf, the places where they live, etc. That was, was daunting. Oh, sorry, sorry, I was just going to ask, was that still within the animal rights organization, that, or was that kind of an offshoot of that? So Rocky Mountain Animal Defense was... Where a couple of us founded in 1994 and we did a lot of great work for 10, 12 years and then that organization kind of dissolved. Uh, I think uh, 9-11 had a big impact on our approach. We were, although we did a lot of legislative and legal work and uh, school education, we were a protest organization and people stopped being sympathetic to protesters if you weren't protesting on behalf of the United States against all other um, Middle Eastern countries or some some such. Oh, I see. You have, so, to have the, you have to have the right protest in mind, I guess, to be... Uh, right. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that just kind of ran its course and it was a very successful group and everybody kind of went their own ways. But then a couple of us who had been involved got back together and we wanted to do more. We had a lot of knowledge and we wanted to put it to use. And we started off with this catalog project, which just wasn't... Um, I don't know. We're activists. Uh, uh, so it wasn't that inspiring, I think, for us. And we, we saw the opportunity having gained, have, having gathered a lot of information on animal shelters and animal rescues, et cetera, uh, to put that to use, make that available to the public. So when we started off uh, with Animal Help Now, we actually served Colorado only, but we served uh, wildlife, any wildlife emergency, but also anything we could think of for domestic animals. So we had a, uh, we used the term pet um, just because that's what the public uses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had a pet or farmed animal issue button on our on our first website, and then we had wildlife and other issues. And if you went into pet pet or farmed animal issue, you had the you could find the nearest vet in Colorado, uh, including the nearest mobile vets. You could um, find a place to report abuse or neglect. Uh, you could get help for an, uh, a lost or found uh, domestic animal. And so we had this full feature. But when we uh, expanded, and I might be expanding on my answer. Or too, too much, but when we when we first expanded, we expanded to Texas and we did the same thing. But we really wanted to have a national reach, just for several reasons. So we couldn't because of the the uh, enormous amount of 
data in the world of domestic animals with shelters. And actually, we, we weren't doing rescues. Um, we drew a line there. But with shelters and with veterinarians, uh, with animal control agencies, we just couldn't do it. We couldn't scale to a national um, service area. So we decided anyway, uh, focus on wildlife. And that's that's also um, because wildlife uh, was, is, is, is less served mm-hmm. than uh, domestic animals. So we, we expanded to uh, nationwide and we eventually phased out the domestic animal uh, functionality, but we took le- our lessons learned there and we put them on our resources page. So we have a pretty significant uh, amount of, of content, FAQs, etc., on our resources page dealing with not only wildlife, but with domestic animals. And then with wildlife, we have uh, the wildlife rehabilitators licensed in all the states. We keep that data up to date. We have veterinarians who treat wildlife. We list them. We have hotlines such as uh, the coastal hotlines, marine animal hotlines. So if you're in a coastal county, you know, you're in Tampa uh, or if you're in, in Florida um, you, and you use our services, you'll find marine animal hotlines as well if you're in a coastal county. So we, we, we have our hands full with uh, wildlife data. We've got this history of doing domestic animal issues, and we'd love to put that back to work. Our decision tree behind that was pretty well thought out, but we're a long way from that happening. But it still needs to happen. Um, you know, seven years later, it still hasn't happened. It's amazing to me that it still amazes me that we haven't done a better job with technology. There aren't people out there doing the kinds of things that Animal Health Now is doing for wildlife. Yeah, well, this might be as good a time as any to sort of talk a little bit about that, because you mentioned, like, if you're in Tampa or Florida more broadly, and so uh, just before we went on the air, I went to the Animal Help Now website, which, by the way, is ahnow.org, as in animalhelpnow.org, ahnow.org, if anyone wants to uh, try this, uh, if they have a computer or device that they're listening on. And so immediately the address of the radio station came up as it should. And if there's there's even information there about if it doesn't, or if the information either isn't in that, that first box where it says you are here or it's wrong, then you can address that directly. But it did go right to that just based on, I guess, where I am and where my laptop is. And a lot of, uh, I'd say about a dozen or so initial resources have popped up. And then there's additional results that are like super specialized. So like, uh, for example, the some of the initial ones would be Bush Gardens, Blue Pearl Veterinary Partners, which obviously is listed because it does treat wildlife, wouldn't be here, wildlife rehabilitator, different things. And then when you go beyond that initial list of kind of probably more general things that people would look for or, or hope for, the additional results include things that are, I guess, more really unique or specific, like one thing that popped caught my as Tampa Bay bat. So again, if you need help with a bat issue, that gives you their name and number Raptor Center of Tampa Bay, which we've had on the show. Big Cat Rescue, which of course has uh, become quite uh, well known in the wake of the uh, Netflix series. But um, so it's just amazing really that all those things just popped up just by me signing on to the page. So I guess one of my questions is, well, t- two things in particular. One is, how involved is it to update the kind of sources that you have so that I happen to be in Tampa now, I'm talking to you in Colorado, people may be listening in various places, other states, etc. So what is involved with updating and adding resources so that wherever somebody does do the same thing I just did, they will get a big, long list of current uh, resources that could help them with whatever their situation is? That's a great question, and that's really the, the that's half of our work is maintaining our data. And I'm going to have to look into um, Big Cat Rescue. It's, I, I, I didn't know that that was on there, but I, I, I have refused to watch the Netflix show. <laughs> well, but, it just uh, says for what it's worth, it just it says animals, large mammals, medium mammals, small mammals, limitations, wildcats only, and then it gives the address. So okay. I, don't, I don't know if that's... It, 
interesting. Well, I'll look into it. It's my understanding that that uh, organization is question has a questionable reputation at this point, but I'll. I'll, I'll make sure that we check into that in case that's the case. Or I could be completely borderline uh, slander here, and they could be a great organization uh, doing great things. And so, yeah, I, I think I think the latter might be the case. I think they do do good yeah. work. I think they got tainted a little bit, or or some questionable uh, stuff surrounded them in the wake of the Netflix thing. Just because certainly known about them and had Carol asking on the show a number of times. So, but anyway, oh, I was just okay. using that as one example. But uh, but anyways, yeah. So back to how you. Do update and either add or I guess maybe in some cases uh, delete resources that would pop up at somebody wherever they happen to be looking for information. I mean, that that must be sort of relentless, unyielding kind of work, I would think. It is, right? Didn't they, don't they say that when they paint the Brooklyn Bridge, when they finish, they have to start all over again? Uh, so it's the same kind of thing. You're, we have state wildlife agencies are the ones that license the rehabilitators. And so they tend to update their list all in a scattershot way. And, and so it's. Uh, some do it once a year, some do it continuously. Uh, our job is to um, stay on top of those list updates. So we have, I think, 48 states keep these lists, and then we monitor them. We actually have a corporate partner called Visual Ping. They provide their services for free, but they really help us because they tell us when a website has changed. When a lot of those lists are updated, websites do um, um, cause this uh, ping, this um, uh, this alert, so mm-hmm. you can get in there and, and make the changes as soon as possible. We're getting to the point where where people are contacting us and saying, where rehabilitators are contacting us and saying, uh, hey, I moved, so please update my information, or hey, I just got licensed, so please list me. And that's great because that's where we need to be. We need to be a part of the consciousness. We want to go a lot further. We want to be working with state agencies and possibly managing their data for them so that we have we can make it immediate available uh, to the public. But that's a, um, that's a dream. It might come true uh, the next year or two uh, or start to come true in the next year or two. Mm-hmm. But then you also have veterinary clinics that treat, that accept wildlife, stabilize wildlife. Yeah, uh, Hotlines don't change as much. The vet clinics we have to stay in touch with Sometimes they contact us and say, hey, stop sending so many people our way. And we'll say, well, we can do that. You've got options and we can actually conceal their listing. Um, That tends to happen uh, more often, of course, in the busy season uh, during spring and summer. But then they'll be glad to, in most cases, get listed again in the fall when things calm down. And Dave, along the way, both in building this list and then now updating it, what is the vetting process and, and how might it have changed or evolved, especially when you went from just the website providing all this information to doing a smartphone app as well. Well, I want to make sure that I mentioned wildlife conflicts, and that's a good place to start with vetting. So a couple of years ago, uh, we added functionality to help people find the nearest humane help if they have a quote-unquote pest animal issue, quote-unquote nuisance animal issue. And so we added wildlife conflict functionality, which means you can use our app and find either the closest uh, wildlife conflict operator, humane wildlife conflict operator. Um, I know you've got, uh, well, Catherine McGill is not only in your area with with 411 Wildlife, uh, but she's also uh, agreed to be listed across the country so that she can consult people. So if somebody uses our service for a wildlife conflict uh, in Nebraska and they don't have any local resources, we've got two or three nation, uh, 
two or three local operations, including Catherine's at 411, that uh, that are willing to take those calls. So that's just huge for us. That means yeah. we're covering the entire country. And when someone wants to sign up as a humane wildlife control uh, operator with us, they go through a pretty serious vetting um, a process. We only list maybe 40, 45 nationwide at this point because the vast, vast majority, 99%, possibly more of quote-unquote pest control operations do not practice uh, humane methods. They don't use humane methods. They still uh, will trap um, and relocate and release wildlife when uh, it's the evidence, is, the science clearly shows that that's uh, more often than not or, or substantially a death sentence for the relocated animal. The method of choice is uh, to uh, evict and exclude. So you get the animal outside of the residence or outside of the place where you don't want the animal. If there were babies, you reunite on site and then they live their lives. In a lot of cases, they're already prepared to just move to their next nest, such as with raccoons. Um, so there's a whole lot to humane wildlife control, and we actually use standards developed by the British Columbia SPCA uh, as our primary uh, guidelines for indicating whether or not we're going to list somebody on our site. So they've got to either be closely abiding by those or moving in that direction. Well, with wildlife rehabilitators, which is who you get when you press our wildlife emergency button, um, our basic, our first standard is, are you licensed? Are you uh, state licensed or are you federally licensed? If you're not uh, one of those, you're not listed. So first of all, you have to be licensed. And then secondly, uh, you have to be abiding by, um, well, we use the National Wildlife Rehabilitation Association. We use their uh, code of ethics. So we're looking at uh, operations. When we get complaints, we'll take a close look at the complaint. We're still sort of developing processes uh, to handle these, but we do have options when someone goes afoul of regulations, yeah. doesn't doesn't lose their license, but uh, but does get into trouble either with the law or uh, with authorities, um, fish and wildlife authorities, for instance. And we, at that point, we have the option of pushing them down to the additional result uh, instead of listing them in top results or concealing their listing entirely. Um, as I said, this is a really kind of significant issue, yeah. Uh, and we're we're trying to figure out how to best deal with it. And speaking of that, Dave, one thing just to maybe make this some of this information more specific to people listening who may have had some experiences that overlap these. Let's talk a little bit about, since raccoons have come up a couple of times, let's talk about, let's say somebody hears something in the attic or whatever the story often begins, and it turns out it is raccoon. But then the key part of the story, if I have this correct, is if they're concerned about that or they say, oh, I don't, I don't want to leave the raccoons or I don't know what they're doing up there or that there's also stuff up in the attic that they could damage or, you know, whatever their story might be. The key thing, it seems to me, from what I've learned here and what you guys specialize in is what they do about a solution to that and who they contact. And I just think a lot of people listening might not have occasion to know, previously at least, that you could contact someone innocently and... They're just taking the gig and getting rid of the saying they're going to relocate the raccoons and the babies or whatever. But unfortunately, that's not necessarily always the case. Maybe you could talk a little bit about how that works. Best case scenario and uh, at least briefly, the more nefarious, not so good case scenario version of that story. 